0: Everyone, how we doing? This is Brett Henderson here, another amazing episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass Podcast and YouTube channel. This is a special day for me, a special guest for me. This is a friend, Alex Hernandez. We have known each other since we were 18, and maybe we were 17 when I was 18, I think freshman year of college. Uh, we went to Tulane together, Naval ROTC together, Marine Corps together, a lot of personal stories some good, some bad as life is, right? And, but I'm so humbled to have him here today because he's, he took something out of nothing and made something amazing. So if you are a veteran entrepreneur and are looking for inspiration, for mentorship, for guidance and want to see, can it be done? Alex Hernandez has done it. So Alex, welcome, sir. How are you?
1: Good. How you doing, Brett?
0: I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. Literally known you since 1994, right? So. Uh, August of '94, and we checked in. We had summer orientation at Tulane ROTC as uh, as midshipman.
1: Yep, it's been a long time.
0: Yeah, it yeah, has couple. been a long time. So, briefly, just give a little background of what you did in the Marine Corps, just uh, for audience's
1: sake. Uh, so I was a '0402 uh, logistics officer. Kind of served before the uh, things got very heated with the uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, served between '98. And 2002, most of my time was in the 3rd Marine Air Wing in, uh, California, Southern California, Great Duty Station. Ended up, uh, you know, my last tour was the, uh, the S-4 Logistics Officer for MAUSE 11, which is a, uh, logis- Air Logistics, Aviation Logistics Squadron that does a lot of the munitions, uh, supporting the, the F-18, uh, Fighter Squadron out of, uh, MCAS Miramar. And just had a whole lot of different duties as they like to give a lot of uh, logistics officers and got a lot of greater experience in that time. And, and uh, you know, after uh, leaving the Marine Corps, uh went back to Tulane uh, where we had originally met and uh, to, to finish up my MBA in uh, 2003. I graduated from Tulane with the MBA.
0: Awesome. And then when you had your MBA, you worked for Citigroup for... A year or two. I
1: to- That's right. Yeah, okay. I you know I was recruited out of a, out of out of the business school for a management associate program in New York City. Uh, you know at the time I thought I wanted to do the more traditional banking route and you know go work for a big bank and and uh, did that for just about yeah. under three years. Uh, it was a great experience. Got to rotate around different areas of the bank. You know the whole idea was after you know the management associate program they kind of put you into sort of middle management. Uh, skip a couple levels, you know, sort of uh, early uh, rise type program into into management. So it was a good time, learned a lot, uh, also learned it wasn't for me long term, wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial uh, during that time. And, and uh, you know, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I saw an opportunity there at the time uh, to, to start a government contracting business.
0: So government contracting. So before I'm going to come back to that, but tell us, where your business today and how many employees you have today and kind of just, just size and scale of your business, things you do. And then we'll go back to where it all came from, if that's
1: okay. Sure. You know, our, our business right now, you know, I have a few different businesses. Um, my primary business, which is Hernandez Consulting and Construction is a uh, general contractor, design, build, uh, kind of construction management business. At our height for that business, we were probably up to about 80 employees. We're down to about 50 um, you know, a lot of that is just kind of with uh, a little bit of the slowdown. We've uh, downsized a bit um, on the construction size, but um, our real estate group, which is North Companies, uh, it's probably about so probably have about 12 employees in there, and that's our our real estate uh, division that does development, uh, a lot of historic tax credit projects, and you know we go out and raise capital from different investors. Uh, we also do qualified opportunity zone fund investing uh, within real estate. Uh, and then we have a, a third piece of the business, which is Albert Architectural Engineering, and that's about 14 employees, and that does, uh, you know, architectural engineering work. You know, we all kind of work together. Uh, we're all affiliated, um, different entities. They all have their own different ownership structures, but we kind of work under one roof. We work together on a lot of projects. Uh, we also do work without each other on projects, but, um, you know, it's just something that I kind of built up over time, uh, since there's a lot of synergies, you know, in real estate, you need construction and you need architecture and we do a lot of those services, you know, and anything that we're doing on the construction side if we need an architect or engineer, you know, we partner up with our, our, our kind of sister company uh, and we share a lot of resources. We're all in the same building, you know, so we, we share a lot of the same overhead resources to kind of help uh keep costs down on that, on that side of things. And, you know, kind of between, Know, three groups, you know, probably about 80 employees, you know, main, mainly out of New Orleans, but we we do have employees kind of spread out throughout the country. I'd probably say about half of our employees are at job sites, you know, we're, we're operating right now in about a dozen different states, everywhere from you know our furthest project right now is out in Hawaii. You know, we've done work in Puerto Rico, got work in in Nebraska, uh, Iowa area, um, you know, we've done work up in the Northeast. Got a lot of work going on in Arkansas, North Carolina. So all, all over the place, we, we go where the work is on the government contracting side. You know, that's probably about, I'd say 75% of our business, 25% is non government, more private sector, either multifamily hospitality. Um, you know, sometimes it's projects that we do for our real estate group or for other developers. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of a nutshell, the, the business.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So anyone who's listening, would be like, wow, this dude's successful. He's got a business or several businesses. So that's that's an amazing thing to see and hear. So let's go way back though to after Katrina. And when did you really have that first moment or even after you kind of left New York and I think you ran down to Miami first for a little bit before even going to New Orleans. When did you think like, ah, here's an idea and I want to give this a shot to turn something out of nothing. Nothing exists right now. I have an idea and I want to go for it. What was your mindset or what can you, do you remember it's been so long since those days when I remember you and oh. a, one other person, I still remember the other person and you guys were, you were talking with me back then, but what was their catalyst? What was your mindset? we're like, okay, I have this idea. I think this is where I want to go and let's do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'd say when I was getting my MBA, um, you know, my my favorite professor at school was the entrepreneurship professor uh, by the name of John Elstrott that that you know, Brett. He uh, yep. he's a serial entrepreneur, very successful. I mean, he was he last his last position before retiring was the chairman of Whole Foods, and you know, big publicly traded company. He helped start Whole Foods, Celestial Seasonings, a bunch of uh, Silk Milk was another one. He uh, you know really liked his classes, uh, you know, cases in entrepreneurship, just trying to learn about. Um, what it takes to start a company, a business. So it was always something on the back of my mind. I, it, you know, my concentration was finance, not necessarily entrepreneurship, but um, I did take a lot of classes in that. Didn't really know what I wanted to do other than that. I wanted to be my own boss at some point. As I mentioned, I went. I wanted to do the ba- the banking thing, get that on my resume. You know, learned a lot. It's it's been it's been a great thing to have on my resume because it automatically brings along with the military uh, and, and the Marines on your resume. You know, working for a big bank. Gives, gives you credibility, you know, when you're, when you're working with other, other people or working with lenders or trying to get a line of credit and, uh, working with CPAs, you know, it, it just, it, it's a good, uh, a good background to have. But, you know, at, at Citigroup, the guy that I replaced, I don't know if I ever told you the story, Brett, but the guy that I ever replaced, uh, coming out of the management program, um, you know, he had been working at Citigroup longer than I've been alive. And he was probably, I want to say, 37 years at Citigroup and he had been one of these old timers that like he sure served in Shanghai, been all over the world because Citicorp had been all over the international company. And uh, here I am, you know, new guy straight out of business school and I'm pushing him out of his job. And, uh, you know, honestly, really, and he was a great guy, very nice, you know, mentor, had no ill will towards me. And he's like, look, I had a great career. You know, it's time you're the new blood, you know, this is your chance to have an opportunity. I'm, you know, I'm ready to retire. And I was like, I never want that to be me. (laughs) And 30 years later I'm working here and all of a sudden I get pushed out because they can hire some smart guy that makes, you know, 20% what I make, you know, that was to me kind of a little bit of the writing on the wall. Like, "I I don't know if I can do a career here and wanted to be an entrepreneur saw what happened with hurricane Katrina, you know, hit new Orleans, um, Ton of devastation. I think most people remember, you know, the pictures on the news, how bad that devastation was. You know, I grew up in Miami, uh, through Hurricane Andrew, um, which I think, you know, a lot of people that are from South Florida for a long time can, can credit a lot of what Miami is today to Hurricane Andrew because it came in, destroyed the city, but brought in a lot of stimulus, a lot of rebuilding, new building codes. Um, a lot of the sti- the stimulus that came out of that created businesses, created opportunity. Miami is what it is today for many reasons, but I would definitely say one of them is, is having gone through Andrew. So here comes Katrina, um, which is 10 times the devastation as Andrew, uh, which means to me 10 times the opportunity to do something. Um, and, you know, New Orleans for, for those that don't know New Orleans, it's a fun city. It's got a lot of great things in history. But it was a city that was really a train wreck prior to Katrina. I mean, Katrina basically just put it out of its misery. Um, and all of a sudden, here you go. The federal government comes in and pours $30 billion plus into this area that whose city, you know, the schools were falling apart. The infrastructure was falling apart prior to Katrina. And all of a sudden now you have all new schools, all rebuilt schools, all new roads, all new pump stations, all new police stations, two new hospitals, new VA medical center. I, I can't think of another city that's had that much infrastructure and stimulus over call it 10 to 15 year period than, than New Orleans. So that's a great opportunity to start a business. You know, it's not uh, in, a, in a situation like that. You, you have a city looking for new new companies to come in and do work. And, and that's that's the niche we filled. You know, I think if I had started this company in another city, I'd be just another contractor trying to get business and little by little working your way. So I was I was probably able to jump a couple steps on the ladder just because they were looking for new blood uh, and there were a lot of opportunities and there really was more opportunity than there were contractors to do the work. So it wasn't easy the first few years, just like any business, you know, struggled with everything with payroll growth, trying to get capital bonding, all that stuff that's required for construction. But one year led to the next and, and built upon the successful projects of the prior years to build on bigger ones. And then, you know, started, the you know, Katrina was 2005, started the business in 2006, really. Um, and you know, by 08, 09, we were kind of starting to win our first construction projects, like real ones, like build a mental health facility for the government or an outpatient clinic or something like that. And, um, and just kind of developed over time and, and built the business, you know, slowly, you know, at, at our peak, you know, we probably had a, I want to say our bonding line, this probably was up to about $150 million bonding line. You know, we've, uh, kind of used that growth to, to, to start the other businesses. You know, the architectural engineering wasn't there originally, but, um, that, that came out of that. Um, and then, you know, I would say the, the, the real estate kind of came out of that as well. You know, I, I had opportunities where between projects, I had staff sitting for the next project and instead of sitting there laying them off. I was like, let's go buy a building and renovate it. Um, and that started the, the process of, of, you know, building building assets, building, uh, uh, the real estate division. And, and then we've, you know, we've grown it to the point that now we go out and we raise capital, you know, our, our niches, as I think I mentioned, historic tax credits, um, and, and pairing a lot of these incentives that are out there, uh, with blighted properties to, to redevelop them. Um, and that's really been, you know, I've actually spent about half my time in that part of the business now. Um, that's, that's probably our, you know, where I'd see a lot of our growth continuing in the future, uh, because it's not as, as, uh, uh, you know, basically it's not just about cost, but finding the right opportunity, bringing value where the construction business, it's a lot of times it's just, it's a race to the bottom, you know, with low, low, you know, basically lower price sub wins a lot of times, lower price contractor wins. So it's not, doesn't create a lot of value opportunity. So it's, it's tough business um, for, you know, for anybody that's out there kind of looking at that.
0: No, I appreciate you sharing that, giving us perspective. So as you we're sharing that. I'm thinking of two things and I'll let you drive all through kind of two different topics out. Number one, if you really just want to throw your teacher or educator hat on and just take a couple minutes and share what a historic tax credit is, because I'm sure that many veteran entrepreneurs or listeners may not know what one is. That's one thing we can talk about, or if you wanted to, the other one would be the very first contract. I want to hear how you got your very first contract if you remember like what you had to do what how much you had to learn how much grit you had to go through and also at that time maybe how many contracts you didn't win before you got your first one so if you don't mind either one maybe a couple minutes or maybe hit both and just maybe talk about one before the others what would you like to chat about sir
1: yeah to be totally honest I don't know if I can even remember our first contract (laughs) Um, uh, you know I could probably say our first contract wasn't you know, usually as you start as a new contractor, you don't win a contract from the end client out the door. Very, very rarely is that the case. You usually have to start as a subcontractor to the contractor that can actually win the work. So, our you know, our first contracts were more debris removal, um, disaster recovery type stuff, like literally going into um, putting crews together to cut down trees, you know, get rid of the garbage that was piled up in front of houses and stuff like that. And a lot of times you're like a second or third or fourth tier level down contractor on those contracts because it's all about bringing in manpower and bonding. It's, it's, it's a terrible situation to really be in, but it's really for many contractors, the only way to get started. Um, so your goal is to quickly kind of claw your way up the contractor food chain as as quickly as possible in, in the general contractor arena. That is, if that's where you want to be. I mean, there's, specialty subs is a different category if you want if that's what you want to do that's a different approach which is good good approach to have but um in, in my realm of gc that's that's what you want to do so that's kind of that's kind of how we did that um you know i guess your question on the historic tax credits um it, you know it's a fantastic program though you know a lot of people are not aware of um not every state has a state historic tax credit program i want to say it's probably like 30 something states out of the 50, you know, have a, a state historic tax credit program. Um, Louisiana being one of the more mature ones that have been around a long time, especially with a lot of historic buildings there. Then there's a federal program that the federal government does, and that's in every state. And, and essentially what it's about is if your building is deemed historic, and, and I won't go into the, in the details of what that definition is. Um, but it's not just that it's an old building, but it actually has like a historic, you know, unique thing about it, or maybe it's within a historic district, like a protected district. Um, or, you know, sometimes you might find a building that's not even historic, but you can get it certified historic with the U S national park service. If you want to go down that route. Um, but essentially what happens is, um, you know, if you buy a building that, that qualifies, um, any of your rehabilitation expenses, that means, you know, your construction expenses, uh, if you get a loan, the construction interest itself, you know, if you got to get insurance, the builder's risk while you build it, project management costs, developer costs, architectural costs, legal, all that stuff, it's all being qualified rehabilitation expenses and, and all of those costs, you get a tax credit on it. And, and in the case of the federal government, it's a 20% tax credit. So let's say you spend $100,000 rehabbing a duplex, uh, that you might buy uh you get twenty thousand dollars in federal tax credits. And those tax credits can be used against, you know, taxes that you owe the government. So let's say that year you owe the government twenty thousand dollars in taxes, well, you don't have to pay the government twenty grand. You use your twenty thousand dollars in tax credits against that. So it's a great strategy, you know, and and a lot there's a lot of contractors out there that do these types of projects just to help deal with their tax obligations to the government. Um, it's a great way to, you know, I could either pay Uncle Sam in taxes or I can put that 200 grand into a building that I'm renovating that then becomes an asset for me. And I use the tax credits that it creates to pay against my tax bill. So it's, it's a good, it's a good strategy. A lot of people do it. Um, and then that's the federal side on the state side. It depends on the state, but let's say the state of Texas, you get 25% of those same expenses, um, as a tax credit in this, in the state of Louisiana, it's 20%. So it, it varies from state to state. Um, but then usually what you do with those state tax credits, you can actually sell those. The federal ones you really can't sell. You've gotta, you've gotta flow those through to yourself. I won't get into the, there's some complicated ways where you could bring in investors and, and get them the tax credits as an investor to help bring in equity on a project, especially on the larger ones, but in, in, the, in its most simplest form, You flow those federal tax credits yourself. Now the state ones you can sell. A lot of times they sell for 90 cents on a dollar, 92 cents on a dollar. And it's usually big corporations. You know, in the case of Louisiana and Texas, a lot of times it's oil and gas companies that will buy those tax credits. So, you know, again, you buy a duplex, you spend $100,000 renovating it. You know, hopefully you've created some value to yourself with, with those renovations. And now the, you know, the duplex is worth. More than what you bought it for and what you put into it, but then you get 20 grand against your taxes, and then you sell the other 20, call it 20,000 dollars in tax credits for the states. You sell them, you know, 90 cents on a dollar, and you put 17 grand in your pocket.
0: Wouldn't that be income?
1: Yes, not- it'd, be, it'd actually be a capital gain because the state tax credits is considered an asset. So if you if you hold on to that state tax credit for at least a year, it's a long term capital gain. But most people sell them as soon as they get them, and then it's a short term capital gain.
0: So but if you don't sell it, you can take the capital gain and put it in an opportunity zone.
1: You could. Well, if you do sell it and you create a capital gain, you have to you have to create the capital gain, which means you sell it. But what you can do, and a lot of people do, is you know, if you do have like in in the state in in Louisiana, I would use my state tax credits to also go against my income my state income tax. So you can you can use them yourself too, but usually you're creating so many of them that, you know, usually the state income tax rate is is not large. So you're getting you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in state tax credits. I mean, you'd have to be making, uh you'd have to be playing for the saints to, to have those types of tax bills. So, you know, you typically want to sell them, you know, past anything that you might use, anything that you use, you don't pay taxes on. I mean, that's you're flowing them to yourself. If you sell them and you create a gain, then you pay taxes on it.
0: To throw out while you're sharing, thanks so much for sharing that. But I do want to throw out just to Keep compliance happy. Anything we're chatting about today is not considered legal advice, not considered tax advice. This is meant to be education and entertainment only. So I just have to throw that out there. So thanks for sharing that, Alex. Uh, so with that, then I think number one, if you have or you're interested, chat with your CPA about that, right?
1: Of course. You know what I mean? If you, depending on the state that you live in, you know, I mean, you could, it's, Usually there's a, a state historic preservation office that you can Google. Usually it's part of the you know state government, um, and and you can read about it. Every state's different. Some states, like in the, in the case of Florida, there is no historic tax credit program, so there, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can still do a federal tax credit program in the state, but um, you've got to go to states like you know Alabama. Mississippi uh, uh Louisiana Texas you know New York is a big one Illinois um all those all those states have have historic tax credit programs and and if you're going to go through all the paperwork and the process it's usually good that you, that the project qualifies for both um a lot of times it's not worth doing it for just the federal tax credit because there is a lot of paperwork a lot of additional expenses and then you can't sell the asset for 5 years when you do one of these things. So if you're going to do it, you really want to, you kind of want to have both incentives to to make it worthwhile.
0: Good. Well, thank you so much for clarifying, providing some background and education on what historic tax credits are and and where someone can learn about that. I want to go back to then when you started out a little bit more for the entrepreneurs or transitioning service members that are looking to become an entrepreneur like you and are trying to say, okay, how do I, you have the ambition, you got the drive, you, you have the will, but now you need the how. How do I do it? And so I think if I remember our time, just as friends we were talking when you were starting your business, being a veteran, I think helped because I, if I recall, and hopefully it's not personal information, but there being a veteran, there's some certain advantages. And depending where you put your business, you kind of, you took the time to build your knowledge and skill set about your personal background and how or where I guess you should set up a business and being a veteran and how that played mm-hmm. into. And then you learned about these other contractors and where their certain contracts of certain pieces come in. So you're like, Oh, I could fit in here. Right. So are you comfortable sharing a little bit about that kind of process as you, as you figured that out, as you went, because a lot of guys be like, how do yeah. I, this sounds great, but how the heck do I do it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the federal government has excellent small business programs, Um, You know, the federal government does, I I would say, a a pretty good job of trying to um, promote and set aside contracts for small business. Um, They have special set-aside programs that they do. There's different different type of quotas and goals that they try to have. You know, they have everything from woman-owned small business, you know, kind of minority-owned small business, service-disabled veteran-owned small business, veteran-owned small business. They have uh, the hub zone, which is what you – alluded to earlier about, you know, where you locate your business and that you hire a third of your employees living in what's designated historically under, underutilized business zones. So there's a number of programs, you know, we were very successful in, in actually combining several certifications, um, you know, such as uh, the 8A, which is in, in many ways, I mean, they call it the small disadvantaged business program, but, the 8A certification, a lot of times it's minority, women owned. It's really anyone that's had economic disadvantage. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a minority, although that's usually an automatic uh, certification if you can, you just got if you prove that. Um, and then, you know, you've got the, the veteran owned, obviously serving in the military service, stable veteran owned, which means that you at least have a 0%, uh, disability rating, uh, with the VA. You qualify for that program. I think I mentioned women owned and that kind of, runs up most of them, most of the programs. And, you know, we use those initially to get started They're a great way to kind of get your foot in the door. There's plenty of very good companies in those programs. There's still plenty of competition, but there's probably less competition than, say, the open market. Um, and, you know, if you can start breaking into some of that work, um, it, it kind of leads to more work. If you, assuming you do a good job. Obviously, that's always in anything in, in life is if you if you perform well, usually the follow-on work comes after. If you don't perform well, then they don't want to give you more work. So it's the same thing with the government. I mean, if you get a government contract and you totally fall on your face and fail, well, it's going to be very hard to get another contract. Um, I mean, you might still be able to. You find another agency that will give you another chance and you made a mistake or whatever, but typically you start getting several strikes against you in, in, in the, in the, what they call the, the CPARs, which is a, essentially like a report card, uh, for government contractors. If you get too many negative grades, um, you, you essentially kind of get blacklisted. So it's something you never want to happen to, you, um, especially as you get started. So it's very important not to take on more work than you can handle. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously my industry is construction, but, um, you know, our architectural group does also government contracting. You know, I'm also a partner in a, and a medical teleradiology business, which is started by a, a, another a service-abled veteran that, you know, followed that approach on the medical side. So there's all types of services the government buys, pretty much anything you can think of. Um, and within those purchases, there's a certain amount of contract dollars that they set aside for small businesses and small businesses with, with certain specialized designations.
0: That's a lot. Thank you for unpacking some of that. So if I am a new veteran and I want to consider government contracting, where would I go to even learn where government contracts are? Or how did you go to the SBA, Small Business Administration first to learn about this? Or how did you?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of knowledge out there and, and it's just, you've got to take the time, you know, when I first got started, you know, I I read and bought a few books, you know, government contracting made easy. There was a book like that. There's a couple of different books that you can, you can do the research, go to Amazon, look up government contracting, read the reviews, read what the table of contents are, find some good books and you can, you can read some, you know, gain some knowledge there. Um, and then, you know, it's a matter of going to some conferences. I mean, the SBA puts some of those together. They're pretty good. You know, I know this, I believe this podcast is targeted at veterans. I mean, the veterans also have departments within the SBA that actually. They're usually very uh, focused on helping veteran entrepreneurs. Um, The VA itself and their Office of Small Business also has the same thing. Um, So there's some great resources. um, You know, if someone's serious about um, doing, you know, doing contracting for the government, be it construction or, you know, computer, IT, you know, whatever it may be, um, I, you know, I'd recommend going to some of these conferences. They're usually not that costly. You know, if, if the conference costs a few thousand dollars, you're going to the wrong one. You know, usually it's the ones that cost 150 bucks, 300 bucks to attend as a, an attendee. Um, those are usually kind of government sponsored. So they try to keep the cost low. Um, right. and if you go to those, uh, they, they have great sessions, networking, and you know, you can spend the first year or two just learning. And all this stuff, you know, at least from my end, was self-taught. You know, that's one way to do it, you know, if you're starting a business. I mean, I've also, you know, there's another entrepreneur that I've helped, uh, and he's grown extremely successful. Um, I actually recruited him out of Goldman Sachs. He was tired of working in banking, wanted to do what I was doing, um, has built an amazing business. And he came and worked for me for two years, you know, and, and he learned the business from the ground up. Until he was ready to start his own thing, so I think there's opportunities there. You know, if you're in a, if you're looking to start something, uh, if it's information technology, find yourself a government contractor in the IT space, get in, get some work experience with them there, and you could you learn on their dime on how they operate, how to do things, and then and then maybe go out and start on your own. Um, there's another way I've seen uh, folks be successful.
0: I think you hit a real good point there, and a lot of veterans reach out to me like, hey, but I want to do this, and they're just getting out. What experience do you have? You have leadership, but you have no skills in that particular industry, no industry experience. So, yes, you've got the leadership button or box check, so to speak, but I think it makes sense of a mentor in any industry. Were you able to find when you started out, Did you were you able to find a couple – Cause I said you, you, you kind of jumped underneath a couple of the, uh, the bigger contractors. Did you find one or two to kind of point you in the right direction? I know you said you're self taught and I'll just give you a plug for anyone who's listening. I, you're a smart dude. You're much smarter than me. You work harder than me. And I, and I think what you have done, and I personally saw it as a friend and colleague was you outworked, I think almost all of us, except for maybe one person who we know who still works crazy hours. I don't know why and how he does. He's our age. He's been doing it for like 30 years but you outworked and you just buried yourself in knowledge and you just sat there and and you you played hard but you worked hard you just put your head down and learn and you believe knowledge is power and you didn't just sit back and watch so talk about your mindset and, and what you felt is for you the right mindset to have to be successful in what you do
1: i if you can find a mentor i definitely i think that helps i think i've been a mentor to a number of of other entrepreneurs, not just veteran, but also just you know either minority business or, or just really anyone that that um you know that I've helped in the past. Um I think when you can get some of that, it, it really helps with knowledge share. Um you know unfortunately for me I really didn't have specifically in the government space I didn't I didn't I didn't really have a mentor if I found any mentorship was you know with uh, some larger businesses that kinda of alluded to that I partnered with. Um, that were, you know, more established construction company that couldn't get the work that I was able to get access to, and we would team and partner, and they would help us with some additional infrastructure for the work. And, you know, I was able to learn from them on how they operated and, and, and you know, copied some of the things that worked well and, and that I found useful. If there was any mentorship, was more maybe on the construction side versus the government contracting side which was more self taught. And, um, you know, also I joint ventured with a couple of companies in the past, um, uh, you know, a, a couple of different companies that, that had the, the resources and the knowledge, um, but not necessarily the government contracting experience or the access that we had. So it was a good, uh, a good partnership. Um, and you know, we learned through osmosis on some of that stuff on how they ran their businesses, that's probably where the mentorship came and, and, you know, you kind of mentioned about learning. There's, there's a lot of information there. There's no reason. And, and really there's, there's more information now than there ever was even back when I was getting started. I mean, what you can do now on YouTube and with these podcasts and, um, there's, there's absolutely no reason why you can't almost become and not an expert, but at least very knowledgeable in any topic. It could be cancer research or, um, you know crypto i mean it doesn't matter what it is you can learn it nowadays with if you want to have the time and put the effort in the information's out there or it was actually a little harder back i think you and I were getting started where you had to literally read some books and, and go to some conferences i mean you kind of don't even need to leave your 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 house nowadays I think you can just find it on your computer on your fingertips so um, I mean if you're not getting the information you need and you're saying I don't know how I'm going to do it Honestly, you're not trying hard enough and you're just
0: making an excuse for yourself. No, I appreciate that. And I completely agree. So let me ask you two more questions before we, before we can wrap this session. As you're going through this, you know, I, I humbly and I've shared on this podcast many times, I've failed. I've failed so many times and, and just get back up and keep pushing forward. And do you have a particular lesson or story you can remember where of a failure that you learned something that really helped you step forward in another direction, even be better after that failure.
1: I think we, if you're not failing at a semi-regular basis, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. I, I firmly believe in that. And if you are going to fail, it's good to try to fail fast. And, and and like you said, get back up and get going. So I probably would say I fail regularly, you know, when we try new things and, you know, look at new opportunities and, and sometimes things don't work out and you keep moving and, and, um, you know, I think one of the things that has helped us overcome, you know, failures is, is having some diversification. That's been extremely helpful for me, uh, you know, in, in my career, having, um, you know, the construction business has been very fruitful for us and, you know, and, and, uh help has helped with cash flow and, and uh, creating capital opportunities um, for, let's say our real estate group, you know, and then, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, real estate group, you've built out, you build out some assets, you build out some new capabilities. The last few years has been a difficult time in construction. You know, I mean, in the government business, you, you sign contracts, you know, in pre-COVID 2018, 2019 at a certain price. And in 2022, 2023, you got to deliver those buildings. Well, guess what? They don't give you any more money to deliver those buildings. You still got to deliver them at pre-COVID prices. And I think we all know just by going to the, to the store to buy something or going to fill up the gas tank, that things cost a lot more. So you still have to do that. But, you know, having that diversification has been helpful to our business. So, Hey, you know, we take some lumps on some projects, um, but you have the other side of the business that's doing well. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that's helped us, you know, kind of weather some difficult times. So I think, you know, whatever you're looking at doing as a business, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, the space we're in. It could be, you know, information technology, but maybe there's a piece of the business that you're doing programming. The other one, you're doing some type of software as a as a service types of program, and, and you've got that residual income coming off of that, and then you diversify with, um, you know, more consulting. So you've got some an hourly business. It's, it's just looking at what are the multiple revenue streams that you can create so that when one takes a hit, um, the others are there to help weather through that time frame because there's always going to be bad. I mean, if you're in business long enough, you're going to go through some cycles. Um, I would say I'm probably going through, you know, our second or third cycle now in in the, whatever, 16, 17 years of business that we've been in. And I'm sure we're going to have a couple more cycles before I, you know, call it a day. So um, it's just part of the process.
0: All right. So your advice would be to diversify streams of income and diversify streams of revenue.
1: Sure. And business lines, you know, I mean, there's times that, you know, one business can be, one of the good things about us being heavily in government is although work's slowing down for a lot of people, actually our work is pretty good right now as far as a backlog because the government just prints more money, you know, unlike private industry. That's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to tighten the belt, belt uh, loops right now. And, and we're not going to spend another money on a warehouse. I mean, the government planned to build that warehouse for the army five years ago and they're going to build it right now. They don't care if the, Economy's down or up or upside down, they're just going to spend the money, and that's good and bad. You know, it's, it's it's finding the again the diversification and understanding that sometimes you know that that part of the business can continue to bear fruit when you know say the residential market has sort of plummeted like it has. But a few years ago, you wanted to be in residential. I mean, it was higher profit, quick turnaround, and the government work was the wrong one to be in because they were taking forever, uh, a lot of red tape, the margins aren't as great. Um, but again, it goes back to, you know, the point of diversification.
0: I love that. And one other, I have two more questions, but one we just touched on briefly, which is I think a no brainer for someone like yourself and myself, but maybe for some from newer professionals, it's not. And I actually have seen it and that's the quality of work that you do. Your work is your reputation and your reputation is your work. I had a a personal example of a, Associate, I engaged to do some work for me and work was done. And we went to look at the work after and was presented and like, hey, uh, this isn't right. And th- this individual said, well, it's bargain work. What do you want? Versus saying, oh, let me fix it. And the same individual had the same challenge with a couple other of my associates. And so now when it's it's a one-off, it's one thing, but it happens two or three times that person's reputation professional reputation of tarnished. So talk about just ethic and your reputation and the quality of your work you do and how that's intertwined or is it intertwined for you.
1: Uh, you know, it is. It, look, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I, I'll be the first to say, as you grow a business, it's hard because when you only have a few projects, when we first got started, you could kind of have your, your, your thumbprint on the work. You can go visit the project, visit the client on a regular basis. But as you kind of start growing, to you know, to the level we were at, you know, where you have 30 projects in 12 states, and you've got employees spread out, you know, you're now worrying and, and trying to work through your managers to do that. It, it's challenging in our business. Obviously, we take our reputation seriously. We want to have a good track record. Um, you know, we want to we want to do work of, of high quality. People don't graduate high school nowadays and say, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a drywall guy. Who does that? You know what does. Everybody wants to either. Um, be the next, you know, uh, social media star, or uh, you know, do programming or crypto or some other thing. No one really actually wants to learn to be a carpenter. So a lot of those trades have have, have disappeared. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of job sites now, um, the trades that you have working out there literally don't know what they're doing. And you could, and we've walked up to people before, you know, the the, the worker working for the plumber, and you're like, how long have you been with the company? Oh, uh, two weeks. Uh, what, what were you doing before I was a waiter and here he is, you know, doing plumbing work. Um, and you know, good on him. He's here learning to trade because he probably wasn't making much money as a waiter, but, um, he doesn't know what he's doing and this is the person that's delivering the quality. So it, it's a challenge. Um, and you know, we spend a lot of time on quality control, trying to, trying to get the right contractors out there. But in our business, unfortunately you're, you're only as good as your weakest, Subcontractor or your weakest link. Um, and a lot of times that, that hurt, can hurt you in, in these projects. So it's, it's not easy. Um, you know, for, especially for anyone trying to, to, I will definitely say it's harder to be in construction today than it was 15 years ago. A lot of folks have retired. A lot of the, the, the good trades people haven't been replaced. Uh, and now there's a ton of work, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's a tough industry to be in.
0: So this is exactly what I wanted to hear, and your your journeys, for all of us, they're good, they're bad, there's good days, it was the bad days, and and some are really ugly, but you just keep plowing through, right? You just keep going. You don't stop. It's just who you are, it's your grit. So I'll let you kind of close it with anything that's on your mind. If you wanted to share an idea or two or anything else that I didn't cover that you think is important or an entrepreneur or someone who's maybe been around a little bit open floor brother and you've you've been a mentor for me and i just anyone's listening like this guy has done it he built something out of nothing he's had some hard knocks he's gotten up he's never stopped he's got a beautiful wife and family too a fun lifestyle but he's earned every single thing that he has he's worked really really hard so alex you could throw anything out there what's uh what's on your mind
1: man and thanks, Brett, for uh, having me on here. I know we've been trying to find a, an opportunity. You <laughs> Cause know, you're busy.
0: That. You're a busy, successful yeah.
1: dude, you know? No, no, but, but, uh, look, happy to be on here and always happy to help other veterans and hopefully, you know, something I said today helps somebody, uh, do, do better and, and build their business. You know, I, I think, you know, if I was to say, uh, any parting words is, uh, someone looking to start a new business, you know, there's a lot of things you can do in life. You know, you're going to have to get up every day and do it. So definitely find something you're passionate about. I think sometimes people start a business because they think it's a good idea. But unless you plan to just do it for like a year or two, hire a replacement and, you know, either sell it or, um, you know, move into a passive capacity, uh, which is not usually likely. Usually when you start a business, the more you think you're going to get out of it, the more you end up in it. Um, just make sure that you pick an industry that you like, that you feel that you're going to get energized with every day. You know, as much as, you know, I've, I've said that the construction industry is, is tough, um, and it is, um, it's also been very gratifying. You know, I mean, it, it, it's nice to drive by a building and know that that's going to be around probably longer than I'll be alive. Um, and, you know, and it's and a lot of these VA facilities are providing services to, to our warriors, uh, to, to recover, uh, to, to heal. Um, so, you know, for me, that's a lot of times it, it's tough what we do, but, but the finished product speaks for itself. So that keeps me sort of energized. You know, I, I don't know if it, if I was doing something different like that, if I'd have the same energy, I, I find the same thing in real estate, um, with, with sort of, you know, bringing back blighted properties, creating housing, you know, having people in a building that was sitting there unoccupied and falling apart for 20 years and, and now having a family living in it, that that's gratifying to me. So I would say, you know, if I was going to leave anything is it's fine. What, what's, what you think you're going to be uh, energized with because it, it is going to be tough. Um, it's probably not going to be easy. You're going to hit some challenges. You're going to hit some failures uh, and eventually hopefully hit success. Um, and along the way, you want to be doing something that, that you're excited about, that, you've, that you're passionate about, that you want to build, so, you know, I think that's really the the, the main thing I kind of leave people with as they're looking at either starting a business or maybe making a pivot for their current business is find what you're passionate about and what, what gets you excited.
0: So having passion is key. And if you're going to fail, fail fast, have a great determination and keep going no matter what. That's right. That's a good Love word to, to end oh. with. I appreciate that. Well, Alex, thanks so much as again, Alex Hernandez, founder of Hernandez Consulting and several other businesses, but I'll just leave you with that one because that's his name, which is amazing. A personal friend of mine for twenty-five plus years. Actually, we're coming to our 25th reunion at, at Tulane. So we're going to that together here always. in several months. several wave should be a good time. Uh Alex also gives back to the university. He's a you're you're always at the business school, your alma mater, and you're contributing also to the ROTC unit there at Tulane. You're there a lot too. So, Alex, thanks for everything you do for the community and for veterans. And I think Alex alluded to it. I don't think he it, said it directly, but Alex actually helps rebuild VA facilities. So many listeners here have a VA rating or have a disability rating or maybe just are using the VA in some form or fashion. So Alex Hernandez and his employees have actually built the facilities, and many of them in the southeast, or rebuilt facilities in the southeast to help you as a veteran. So, Alex, I want to thank you for everything you do for the community. And I'm Brett Henderson. If you like this episode or if you have some other thoughts or ideas how we can make it better or if you have some questions or if you think we should go deeper in different areas, please reach out. Please comment, like, share, subscribe. Again, Brett Henderson. I am the founder of Strategic Wealth Endeavor. We do wealth management and business consulting for veteran entrepreneurs, just like Alex. It's really what we do. It's all we do. So if we can help you go from A to B that much faster, it's what we do. So again, please reach out, comments, questions, concerns, anything we can do better. If you think you have a phenomenal guest for the podcast, please reach out too. This is the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass. Alex, thanks so much. And we'll talk again soon, brother. See you at homecoming.
1: Take care.